it was a, a difficult process. I met another woman who actually is a psychologist. And she was actually doing the same thing I was doing in terms of going back and reading her journals. But she was reading her journals and destroying them. She would take like a paragraph or two from her journals, cut them out, and destroy them. She shredded them, filled bags and bags, garbage bags filled with the shredding. When she finished, she put all the shreddings in the bathtub and took a picture of herself in the bathtub with her shredded journals. You're listening to Second Breaks, and I'm Lou Blazer. In addition to hosting this podcast, where we explore how we can thrive through midlife transitions, I also publish a weekly newsletter called Midlife Cues. Think of Midlife Cues as a weekly meditation on intentional living and personal growth in midlife. Check it out and subscribe at midlifecues.com. That's midlife, C-U-E-S, one word, dot com. An unexamined life is not worth living. That famous quote has been attributed to Socrates, who supposedly uttered it during his trial where he was eventually sentenced to death. Many people consider Socrates as the person who, more than anyone else in history, valued pursuit of wisdom through questioning and logical argument, hence the Socratic method. With this famous quote, Socrates implied that questioning, examining, and understanding our lives is of utmost paramount importance, essentially for us to have the wisdom about ourselves and the life that we choose to lead. Otherwise, we're merely existing, acting in ways the reasons for which are unknown to us, We sway left to right and back, acting this way and that without truly understanding ourselves and the reasons we do what we do. And I think it's pretty clear no one's going to want to live that way, like zombie-like, empty living-like. Who wants that, right? And yet, to examine our lives is to turn the lens on ourselves, on our thoughts, our actions, dreams, joys, frustrations, foibles, triumphs, and failures, it's not easy to do in some respects. It's so much easier, far easier to look away and never truly examine. But to make the effort to continuously examine our lives has many benefits. The best one being that we get to know ourselves really, really well. And I think that's the ultimate best thing in life, for me anyway, to get to the end of the road and to know that I have done the best that I could to know myself and to master myself and to try to live the way that I would be proud to have lived. The easiest way to examine our lives, of course, is through journaling. And that's probably not going to be a surprise to anyone. But did you know that there are like 40 different ways of journaling? So for those of you who are not into writing, well, there you have it. 40 different ways of journaling, some of which aren't, you know, writing based, right? No need to put pen to paper. So 
that there are so many different ways of journaling is one of the things that I learned from my conversation with Merle Saverstein, educator, speaker, and author of several books. She is a pioneer in the field of legacy journaling and has been journaling for 48 years. She has amassed a collection of 380 journals, the majority of which are the basis for her books, Living and Leaving My Legacy, Volumes 1 and 2. I wanted to have Merle on the podcast to explore the practice of journaling deeper. I know that many midlifers find ourselves pulled to journal as a way to document our lives, process our thoughts, and examine our experiences for ourselves and for our loved ones. Merle is the perfect person to talk about this practice because through classes, workshops, and lectures, she has guided thousands of people in sacred legacy work, writing for wellness, and journaling. In this episode, we talked about journaling for ourselves versus journaling with the intent of sharing our lives with others which is what she refers to as legacy journaling. We also talked about the many different purposes that journaling serves, the whys and hows of disposing old journals and the experience of rereading our old journals. Merle shares her experience going through her hundreds of journals when she decided to compile excerpts for her book. We talked about her process, how she decided what to share and what to keep for herself and uh, what she hopes readers will take away from reading parts of her journal. Now, just a production note, I've decided to release our conversation without the extensive edits and editorials that I've been doing of late. I think you're going to find value in listening to our entire chat. Of course, cleaned up, you know, so like I've done minimal cleanup editing to, you know, for ease of listening. I'd love to hear your thoughts about and your experience with journaling. You can email me lou at secondbreaks.com or you can find me on LinkedIn. Just search for my name, Lou Blazer, and that's Blazer with an S. I'll catch up with you at the back end. In the meanwhile, here's Merle Saferstein. Merle, welcome to Second Breaks. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Lou. I'm so happy to be here. Let's maybe just start with something that I've read on your website, and I may, um, uh, my phrasing might be off, but it has something to do with how we live our lives, become our legacy. Can we start there, and can you expand on that a little bit? What what I've come to learn in my life is that, you know, people think about legacy and they think about leaving money, you know, that that's what they're going to leave, their financial legacy. And I came to understand that the way I look at legacy is totally different than the financial piece. But I have come to understand that people really learn from what we do, not necessarily what we say. So when I talk about how you live your life becomes your legacy, what I really mean is people are watching us and people are going to learn. So if if one were to die and didn't leave anything behind. What we would remember is how they lived. So I have a friend who had a friend who was someone in one of my writing classes at Gilda's Club, which is a resource center for women who have been impacted with cancer. And this woman, my friend Marie, 
had breast cancer and was dying. And I went to visit her in the hospital, and we had a, a really very open conversation about death. And one of the things I said to Marie was, so how do you want me to remember you? And she thought for a while, and she said, you know, Merle, it doesn't matter how I want you to remember me. You're going to remember me the way you want to, which suddenly made me realize that if we want to be remembered a certain way, then we need to be living that way. Well, mm-hmm. So you also use the phrase uh, legacy journaling on your website and in your work. I want to make sure I understand the context of when you use the word legacy journaling versus journaling. So is legacy journaling specifically to help others remember us in a different way? Or what? how do you differentiate journaling from legacy journaling? Okay, so so journaling to me is something that we do for ourselves. Mm. And legacy journaling is something that we do for others. So for example, when my granddaughters were born, and the day they were born, I started writing journals for each one of them. So one of the, one of my granddaughters is now 21, and I finished one journal and I already started a second one for her, and the other one is 17. And those journals what are what I consider legacy journals, and they're filled with all kinds of things. They're filled with the experiences I have with them. So, for example, when I went, especially when they were younger, when I was with them, I would play with them and do projects with them, I would write about those things in the journals. Or I would write about my feelings towards them, how much I loved them, how hard it was to say goodbye to them. Um, periodically, I would write some advice, you know, something that, that I learned in being with them that I wanted to pass along. So to me, that's a legacy journal. Um, I had an experience that was really very profound. So in one of my legacy classes, there was a woman who was, um, at the time she was 40, and she had she had breast cancer. She had uh, actually, when she was pregnant at 38, she found a lump in her breast, and her gynecologist, OBGYN, said to her, no, it's just because you're pregnant, it's not anything. And she went back to this doctor three times to say something about this lump in her breast, and the doctor kept putting her off. After she gave birth, um, she started having really bad back issues, Mm -hmm. bad pain in her back. And she went to an orthopedic surgeon who took tests and then um, ended up saying, you have metastatic breast cancer. So so her breast cancer that had been sitting there for two years had now metastasized to her spine. Oh, my goodness. So we became friendly. And while she was in my class, and she was really hoping she was going to live, obviously, but I suggested she start journaling. I also suggested that she do a video for her daughter, who was mm-hmm. at the time very young. Um, I said, you know, I hope you're going to live and, and we want you to live, but but it would be good to have this on tape, you know, to give her all the messages you want her to have. And so my friend Sarah did both those things. It's almost like a long letter to, to them. Right. Or it is. Yeah. It's, it's like, a um, well, there's such a thing as a legacy love letter, which is that mm-hmm. where you write the, the kinds of things that you want to share. Right. It could be on an occasion. It could be uh, just because, uh-huh. but that would be it. 
at any rate, Sarah kept the journal and she was writing for herself, purely for herself. When she was about three weeks before dying, her brother called me and he said, Sarah has asked me to call you and ask if you would read her journals, take excerpts from them and put them into something to leave for her daughter. Oh, wow. And I mean, it was a huge, stunning request. And of course I said, yes. And then one day a box of 10 journals came and I did not open the box for a week. I just kept looking at the box and I knew it was going to be a really heavy thing to do. And when I started reading them, I realized that this, these journals, Sarah wrote for herself. There's no question that she never ever thought anyone would read them because the things she said in there, I know, I mean, I know what I write in my journals for myself. And, and I do write them for my eyes only. And I do believe Sarah felt the same way. However, I think as she came close to death, she realized there were things she wanted her daughter to know. So I spent a lot of time, I just kind of blocked everything else out and just lived with her journals, took excerpts, left some things in which I knew that no one should ever read, mm-hmm. that I was really very privileged to read, but also some of it was really heavy. Mm-hmm. And I, I made a book, I think it was about 80 pages long, sent it back to Sarah's brother and asked him to keep it for his niece for when she turned about 18. I said, don't give it to her before then. I don't think she'll read it. Prior to doing that, I shared it with one of my friends who was a therapist because I wanted her to make sure that there was nothing in there that I shouldn't have put in. Mm. And there was one line, in fact, that was actually something I had debated about and it was the same line my friend said, I'm not sure, crossed it out. Uh, but but that is, to me, the epitome of legacy. Journey. Wow. Do you know what this reminds me of? I, I may mispronounce his last name. Randy Pausch. Pausch? Pausch. Uh, mm-hmm. Several years Pausch. ago. Uh, yeah. um, mm-hmm. he, I think it started as a as a letter to his sons, wasn't it? And then it turned into a talk, it turned into a book or something. So absolutely. And I remember hearing him talk about, because I listened to his talk that he said he, it was specifically for his sons that he wrote them. And it's just great that other people found it useful as well, but it was really for his sons. So right. Yeah. You talked about journaling. you, You talked about your friend writing for herself. And I think that that's probably... Uh, certainly for me, my experience with journaling is that probably most people, when they journal, they write for themselves most of the time with with no anticipation or desire for anybody else to read what they've written. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, there are people who are afraid to journal because when they were younger, someone their mother and their brother read their journals and they say, I don't trust anyone. I, you know, I don't know. And one of the things that I say to people about that is if you've got something to say and you're afraid someone's going to read it, don't write it in a journal, write it on a piece of paper, Mm. get it out because it's really important to get these things out of our mind, to unclutter ourselves and to put it on paper and then tear it up. Or, or, or excuse me, or burn it, or have a ceremony. Do something, get rid of. But at least you will have written and gotten it out of your head. And so I think that's really important. I myself made the commitment at one point 
I hesitated to write something in my journal because I knew that it was like really heavy and I could hardly believe I was actually committing it to paper. And I stopped and said to myself, if you don't write this, if you stop and don't write something, then you're not going to write in your journal anymore. So Mm. the commitment I made to myself was to no longer censor anything I said. And I think, you know, while I don't think there are any rules about journaling, except to make sure you date every entry with the day and the year, yeah, the only other thing is not to censor yourself. Because the real gift is being able to say it all. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. I have so many follow-up questions. I also want to talk about the books that you've written because they are off your journal. And so that also, um, it, I'm very interested about that. But just this sort of maybe level set, which is probably something I've, I should have asked at the beginning. But like a lot of people talk about like bullet journaling and like one-line journaling or, you know, all kinds of different um you know, different journals almost. Can you talk a little bit about those? Like what is, when we are using the word journaling here, what are we talking about? And um, what are your thoughts about those different kinds of journals that people talk about? I read somewhere there are like 40 different kinds of journaling. You know, art journals are another kind of journaling. Actually, through the organization, um, the International Association for Journal Writing, which is um, an organization, it's called IAJW, that is for journalers all over the world. Uh, We put out a book called The Great Book of Journaling, which has all different kinds of journals and opportunities and experiences and journal prompts for people to to do Mm. these different kinds of journaling. I think that to me, journaling means whatever way you express yourself, to just get it out of your head and down on paper, however. So bullet journaling, for example, is just basically lists. And in my journals, I have a lot of lists, which I didn't even realize I did until eventually I went through my journals. We'll talk about that. But that's that's one form of journaling. And when I realized and took out all those lists and put them down in one, you know, one document. I realized that they were really like an outline of my life. You know, some lists were very um, like a gratitude list or a list of what I'm thinking or a list of what I'm feeling or a list of the reasons why I love my husband or the reasons why I was angry with someone else. I mean, all those kinds of things, all different pieces of my life in worse. So I think there's a value to that. I know that some people keep up five-year diary where they have five years on one page with maybe four lines and every year they write. That would be fine. I I don't know that I could ever um, just confine myself to something like that. But I think that would be interesting Mm -hmm. to look back every year and see where you were one year ago, two years ago, et cetera. Gotcha. I love when you were talking about some of the things that are on your journal about like the reasons you love your husband or like things that you're grateful for. So these are like the more positive aspects of our lives. Uh, what about um, some people I know journal to process negative or painful moments as in only journal to process painful and negative moments. They right. don't actually journal other than for that reason. And so when, if, they ever reread the journals, it all 
painful memories. So that's really true. I would say that the greater majority of people start a journal when they've got an issue, write about it. Many don't certainly don't finish the journal, so they have a lot of unfinished journals. For example, my daughter. So my daughter wrote through her dating experiences, and then when she finally fell in love and was with someone, she I'll never forget that she was having knee surgery, and I went to visit her, and she said, I think I'm going to destroy my journals, which to me was like, how do you do that? Right. And she literally sat on her bed, and she said, I do not need to have a history of all these men who are in my life. And page by page, journal by journal, she just ripped them out and got rid of them. Right. At the same time, I think that, listen, for example, I do think I'm a positive person. And at one point in my life, I went back and read my journals, which we will talk about. But prior to that, I asked myself the question, you know, how much much do you think in your journals will be positive and what will be negative? And so I gave myself the number of 91% positive and 9% negative only to realize that, that was, I was so off by so much that it, it was shocking to me. But what I realized was that, I mean, I, I probably wrote almost as much negative as positive. But through journaling, I took those negatives and I wrote through them to get to a positive yes, place. Yeah. And so that was the processing that you were talking about. Yeah. You know, I was able to do that. So when I think about my life, I think of it more, more positively. But there's a lot of negative in there that I didn't realize I had actually committed to paper in that way. I tend to, and I appreciate what you said earlier about you journal the best way that you journal. There is no rule about journaling necessarily. So for the for the purpose of just sharing with you and for the listeners when i journal i tend to have a tone as if i'm writing to myself and also i not intentionally but just looking back i find that whenever i am going through a negative sort of thought process or i'm writing them down or painful experience i almost always end up with a tone where I am encouraging myself, like I'm trying to buck up my spirit or, you know, something like Mm -hmm. that um, to encourage myself about, you know, this negative thing that's happening. Um, So it doesn't, I think, although it'd be interesting when I reread my journals, if this is true, but I think that I I end every entry of a negative experience with a more... Like I'm encouraging myself, like that kind of tone. Which is beautiful. I mean, that's that's a gift of journaling. There's journaling for self-care. Yes, yeah, and, that's it, yeah. And that's what you're doing. Mm. I mean, you're taking something and you're working through mm. it and you are finding a way to get to the other end of that negative. Mm. Another way to do that with a negative issue is to write a letter. So I have letters in my journals that are basically those unsent letters Mm. that I write, for example, if I'm having an issue with a person, Mm. I might write to that person in my journal, get out all the feelings, say everything. Mm. Sometimes write it more than one time. I mean, I I can honestly tell you that I've written, my husband and I have been married 56 years. I've written um, a number of unsent letters, multiple multiple letters. But what I find is that 
in doing that, I get rid of the anger or the, the strong emotions, and I get to the real essence of what it is that we need to talk about. And so that's, that's a real gift. And so that's just another way to process. And, and really, I mean, I think journaling is processing. There are, of course, recording your daily life or conversations or whatever. And that's, that's another part of journaling, but it's really working through the things that are helpful. I mean, to me, it's, it's the best cathartic therapeutic technique. I totally agree. Aside from maybe going to a therapist, which is a whole different ball. Yeah, I totally agree. All right. Well, that's, that's awesome. And I will definitely put a link on the show notes about the, the 40 different types of, you said that the association of the organization uh, published that book. So that is very interesting. I'm, 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 I myself am very interested to have a look at that. Uh, but also for, uh, for people to think that journaling is only one way versus, you know, it's, it's really, you know, it, I think you said art journaling. So maybe your thoughts come out in doodles or pictures or drawings as opposed to Absolutely. words, right? Absolutely. So there are many different ways. Now, uh, you know, getting back to kind of what we said earlier and then dying this to your own uh, experience, a lot of people write for themselves uh, or journal for themselves. And I think I've read somewhere on your website that you wrote for your, for yourself as well, but you also decided to share excerpts uh, or parts of your journal in your published book. Can you talk about, you know, what that's about? Why you decided to do that? For some reason, I always thought that I would leave my journals to my children. Mm. And then I started thinking, you know, I don't think so, because I really wrote them for myself. Mm. And they are not for anyone's eyes but my own. And the other thing is I'm an educator. Mm. And I kept thinking to myself, I've, I've written in the year 2000, I had 340 journals. I don't know how many. I had a lot of journals. And I kept thinking, I could not have possibly filled all these journals without having something to say, something to share. At which point I decided I was going to go back and read my journals and determine whether there was anything that would be worthwhile to share with my children. And so I began a, a, a project which started in 2002 and took me until 2016 to read all those journals. By the time I finished, I had 359 journals. And what I did was I took topics. I listed topics. By the end, I had 70 different topics. As I read, I used small post-it notes and marked the topics of the excerpts that I thought I wanted to share. And then I decided to to um, once I finished, so after 14 years of doing this, once I finished, I decided that I was really ready to share with other people, that this was beyond just sharing with my children. And so, and because I had been teaching these legacy classes, I just felt that this really would be uh, a way to leave my legacy. Mm. So what I did was I then chose um, 22 topics of the 70 and some of the topics had anywhere from 75 to 450 single space pages. And so then I had to determine which excerpts 
I was ready to share. I was at first willing to share only the good stuff until one of my friends, who's a psychologist, said to me, you really need to share the shadow side. People are not going to relate unless you yes. share the, the difficult things as well. And of course, I know that's true. So then I went back and I started with the marriage chapter because the marriage chapter, if someone would have read it originally, they would have thought, God, it must be nice to have such a fabulous marriage without any issues. Um, but then I went back and started playing out stuff, you know, some of the really important heavy-duty stuff that people can relate to. So why I decided to share this is twofold. One is because I wanted people to understand the benefits of journaling. Mm. And the second reason is because I hope that people will look at my life not because it's my life, but as a mirror into their own lives. Mm. And so I really, I'm really hopeful that the things that I have said in my journal, in my books, are things that people can relate to. And I mean, the experience I've had from, from the feedback is that that's definitely true. At the end of each chapter, I have journal prompts that go with the chapter so that someone can actually think about their own, you know, it forces them to, to become interactive. And I also have reflections. So what I did was I, I went back and reflected on what I had read and put into these chapters and what I was feeling because by then it was four years later. And so I, some things in my life had changed, some things I really needed to, um, explain better yeah um so that's yeah that's what i ended up doing oh my goodness so when you were going through your hundreds of journals i'm just curious did you find recurring themes of your life or as as you read them that there were themes that came out that there were themes that you're always almost always talking about or or when you said topics these are not necessarily themes but just topics that we talk about because they, yeah. you know, come out in our lives? Well, some of the topics are things like uh, spirituality, mm -hmm. parenting, mm -hmm. travel. I have one, uh, one chapter that's loads of lists. I have just lists. Um, I have legacy work. I have death and dying. I have um, my career. So I was a Holocaust educator. Mm -hmm. So I have in the second volume, I have one chapter called Those Who Are There, and it's 48 vignettes of Holocaust survivors who have shared their stories with me, mm. and it's parts of their stories. It's very heavy. It's, a, it's really kind of brutal, actually, but very important, probably the most important writing I've ever done. Mm. So those are the things. If you, if you look at your life as a tapestry, and you think of each thread as part of that tapestry, but each thread standing alone, that's what the topics were for me. So the, my journals were the whole tapestry, and then I've taken out these. So what was really fascinating is some of these um, topics go from 1974 to 2016, because mm. that's how long. So, for example, parenting yes. starts yeah. in 1974 till uh, 2016 when I start. Right. Some of them are just like more concentrated. So it depends on, you know, on what the topic is gotcha. in terms of how long. But what was fascinating to me is when I separated out each of the, each of the topics and read them, 
There was nothing else in the way. So when you read about parenting, that is all that's in there. And when you read about spirituality, it's my journey, you know, my quest for who I am, what I am, what what's out there, who is God, whatever. Um, and so they just stand alone. And what I've found in these books is that people can read any chapter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you start. And people just kind of gravitate to the things that they're most interested in and read it in that. Some, some do yeah. read it in that way. Some read it from cover to cover, yeah. but it just depends. Um, what about the experience of rereading your thoughts from years ago and just the heaviness of some parts of your lives and just going through that experience again, you know, how was that experience? Because I always, I don't reread journals or I haven't reread my journals. Part of it is because there's a part of myself that's scared to read some of the heavy parts and because I'm like, I don't want to go back there again. What was your experience like? Well, I can totally relate to, to your feeling. I'll just tell you the story that I often say. My husband, when I started doing this, said to me, does this mean that you're going to be angry with me all over again when you get to those parts? And I said, I have no idea. I'll let you know. And one day he walked in and I was ready to kill him. And he said, okay, I have my answer. Um, There were days that I would sit here and cry. There were days that were so heavy and so difficult. Um, It was a journey that was unlike anything I ever had done. Because I, in 1974, I had actually started to do this. And I, I wrote a book from um, 32 volumes, but I, it was only fluff. And so I never, it never got published. It was just, you know, it was very lovely, but it was not, the, it wasn't really substantial. Um, so aside from those books, I had not read my journals ever. I mean, I just wrote them, put them away, and that was it. Going through it, I really understood the ebb and flow of life. I understood that I am the same person I was many years ago. I think that what's changed is my behaviors, but who I am as a human being is the same. One of the the best parts for me was when I would plant a seed, and I would have an idea, and I would write it down, and then I would get to watch how that seed grew into something. And that was really fascinating to watch, you know, to see that journey. It was a a difficult process. I met another woman who actually um, was a psychologist, is a psychologist. We met her, I met her at a a National Association for Poetry Therapy. And she was actually doing the same thing I was doing in terms of going back and reading her journals. But she was reading her journals and, and destroying them. She would take like a paragraph or two from her journals, cut them out, and destroy them. She shredded them and filled bags and bags, garbage bags filled with the shredding. When she finished, she put all the shreddings in the bathtub and took a picture of herself in the bathtub with her shredded journals. Meanwhile, when we first got together, she was writing an article and she was calling it something like, treasure or junk or something like that. And I was like, how can you even think about your journals in that way? But it was like, do you get rid of them or do you keep them? Are they your treasure or are they something you need to get rid of? And in her case, she had a lot of things that she never wanted to look at again. And she decided to destroy them. 
the the summer that I took, I mean, I had worked on this for for 14 years, but one summer, the last summer, I took 77 days. And just was before COVID when I never thought anyone could do something like this. And then the whole world did it. But for 77 days, I stayed home to read the last of the journals because I just, I was so done. You know, I just needed to move on already. And at the same time, I found Beth was doing the same thing. And it was so helpful because who could understand really what this process is and what it's like emotionally to go through this. And so Beth and I had a lot of conversations during that summer about what we were experiencing. Yeah, I do. Not not quite as extensive as as you have done, but because I do a yearly, um, a year-end sort of reflection at the end of every year, I do scroll through my journal of that year just to kind of, because we forget sort of like what happened in the first part of the year. And so, so, but I don't, it's, it's not as immersive as your experience. And I, I can just imagine what, what that experience is. Now you've broken your books in two volumes. Is it broken by years or by topics or like the volume? It it can't be years because. Oh yes. Of course. Yeah. Cover right. So it's topics. And what I didn't realize um, consciously was that the first volume is more of my earlier days. Mm -hmm. And the second volume is, I think, a heavier in terms of the the substance of it because I have have relationships, I have death and dying, I have the survivor chapter, I have legacy. So, So in that respect, it's a little heavier. But it just kind of happened that way. And, you know, looking back, I say, oh, well, maybe, you know, maybe unconsciously I, or subconsciously I did that. But it was, it was interesting to go through that and just decide which chapter, you know, which volumes um, would have which chapters. Gotcha. So the title of the books, um, they're Living and Leaving My Legacy, Volume 1 and Volume 2. Is that right? Right. And I'll right. put a link right. uh, on those volumes on the show notes as well, of course. But, Thank you. Uh, Marla, can you uh, just um, talk a bit about what you hope people will take away from reading these volumes, particularly for people who don't know you, right? right? So, like, why will right. I read right. Merle's volumes? Like, I don't know her. Right. Yeah. So just to know that I was really vulnerable and had many doubts and, and throughout this process said, why am I doing this? Who's going to care? And what I've learned from strangers who have read the book is it's not about me. My books really do serve as a mirror mm. into people's lives. Mm. And so what I'm hoping is that someone will read this book and um, realize the best way to live their life. Yes. And... I, I've done a, I've had an interesting life. I've been very fortunate. But while it is about me and it's very personal, it's really the human condition. You know, we are all in this together and there are universal truths and that's really what I'm hoping people will well see yeah. when they read the books. That's true. I mean, it's for the same reason that I enjoy reading memoirs, right? Or like right exactly you know for that exactly. same reason like I, I don't really necessarily know some of the mem- the people who i've read the memoirs about but but it's the specificity in their stories it, it's funny it's in the specificity of their stories that i find myself 
which is like exactly. sort of that's like, exactly you know? right. Uh, but yeah, um, do you call yourself an author these days, Merle? How do you you know when you introduce yourself to people? Yeah. What do you say? Are you an author? This is primarily what you do. Write books? No, no. I I am first and foremost an educator. I am an author, and I am a speaker, and then I'm a lot of other things too. But but really, um, who I am is an educator, and this is you know my books are a way of educating people. And do you, do you? Um, I thought I thought I saw on your website, which I'll put a link to on the show notes as well, of course. But um, thank you. You you ho- you hold workshops about about the topic of legacy journaling or journaling in general. I do. I do a. I have a journaling circle. Ah, yes. And I teach classes called Living and Leaving Your Legacy. Gotcha. So that's a whole other another whole other piece, but that kind of ties in. And and those are not journaling classes. Those are really helping people look at their lives. And um do you find the people who attend these classes are they generally um, younger people, older people, people at the end of their lives? What well, how do you So I it? would say the average age is probably sixty five. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a, a woman in the class who, when she started, was 38. She was in the same class with someone who was 92. At one point, I did a workshop in Atlanta for my daughter's friends. There were about 40 women who were around the age of 40. Mm-hmm. And I just basically what I think is it's never too late. We never, it's never too late to start. It's never too early to start because we do not know what tomorrow is going to bring. And so I say, this is the time, you know, start now and look at your life and think about how you're living and are you living the way that brings you joy? And if not, then you need to look at that and decide what yes. you want to do to make it a better life. Yeah. I enjoyed this conversation tremendously, Thank Merle. You. I appreciate you sharing this with me and the listeners. Like I said, I, I put a link to the show notes and all the stuff that we talked about. But one last thing, Merle, that I, um, if you wouldn't mind just sharing with us something I asked, uh, I've recently just started asking my guests, what brings you joy these days? What brings me joy these days is especially being outside in nature. I live near a beach, and so walking on the beach is probably one of my very favorite things to do. Um, what ultimately makes me the happiest is connection with others. Um, when I am when I am in conversation with people, is when my heart sings. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing that with me, Merle. This has been fantastic. I really, really love this conversation. Thank you. Um, as I expected or, you know, anticipated ahead of time, like I would learn a lot, even of my own process of journaling as well through these conversations. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And it was my pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much, Lou. I want to thank Merle Saferstein for sharing her experience and insight and, of course, her personal story with us. You're going to find all the links to her website as well as some of the resources we mentioned on the show notes at secondbreaks.com. Now, if this conversation on journaling sparked an interest in you and you want to take it a step further, you may also find uh, interesting a previous conversation I had with Janelle Hardy, 
back in episode 165, we talked about memoir writing as a way to understand our lives and heal our past. Again, that's episode 165, and I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Thank you, my dear listener friend, for joining me today. If you like this episode, please do me a solid and share it with a friend or two. Word of mouth is still the best way to grow and mentioning this podcast to your friends. You're going to be helping me reach other midlifers who can benefit from the topics that we cover on the show. I'll be back with a new episode in a couple weeks. Until then, keep on making your dent, my friend. Cool beans. Cool beans.